Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Wealth Journal podcast with me, Jay Hardy. Before we begin, it's important to remember that the Wealth Journal is here for purely educational and entertainment purposes and should not be considered as financial advice. I recommend that before you make any form of investment, you do your own research. Now with that out of the way, let's get cracking. Quick one, if you could do me a favor and follow or subscribe to this podcast, that really helps me track new listeners to the podcast and helps it grow. Thank you. This week, I want to jump back into the Wealth Journal and share some of the points that I've made. And um, yeah, I guess I'm going to cover a little bit of old ground at the moment and just remind myself of the true secrets of the rich. And the reason for that is that the last few weeks in the markets, particularly whether it be stocks or crypto, have been quite challenging. Obviously, we've come off the back of very high inflation and that still remains. Russia's invaded Ukraine, so there's a huge amount of uncertainty in the market. Energy prices are going up. That's going to have a huge knock-on effect to to supply chains and and, and food prices across the globe. And of course, stock markets have taken a, a real a real hit. And it's at times like these where when you're investing just on a regular basis, it, it does make it a little bit harder just to keep putting your money in into markets that have been persistently going down. Um, and you have to you have to be brave. So I just wanted to take a step back and sort of remind myself this week on on why it's important, if you can obviously still afford to, continue to invest, certainly in times like this. It it tends to be a little bit easier to invest when stocks go up. But of course, by nature, it's a lot harder to invest when stocks are going down and you can see that that investment that you've made one week lower the next. And um, I would say it's a <laughs> not very encouraging for you to continue to put more money in. But as we know, when we zoom out over the long term and we look at history, um, that can give you a little bit more confidence. But I wanted just to go back in time a little bit on this podcast and remind myself of the true secrets of the rich. And and one of the key things uh, that I learned at the start of this process was that the rich, the rich acquire assets or buy assets and the poor and middle class buy liabilities. And it's of course important to understand the difference between assets and liabilities. If we just take away the accountancy jargon, the key difference really between the two is that assets can put money into your pocket, whereas liabilities take money out of your pocket. And it's a little bit easier for you to identify your liabilities. These are the things that are effectively eroding your wage each month. They might be your credit cards, um, interest payments on, on loans, loans themselves, car payments, mortgage, whereas assets are a little little bit trickier to identify. The rich know them, they know them inside out, but for the rest of us, they can be a little bit confusing. And the person who best helped me understand them was Robert Kiyosaki, the author of the famous Rich Dad Poor Dad book. Love him or hate him, this guy is the king of personal finance. But what he made me understand was that things that I thought were assets are not. So take my car, for example. Does that put money in my pocket? Well, no. It's a liability. It takes money out of my pocket. If I had to sell it, it's likely to be worth less than what it was when I paid for it. My house, and this is this is the divider. Does my house put money in my pocket or take it out? Well, certainly on a monthly basis, it doesn't put any money in my pocket. Yes, the value of my house might go up over time, but each month I have a mortgage. I have council, council tax. I have bills, I have electricity, I've got heating, 
I've got to pay a lot of money each month just to, just to live in my house. So certainly not on a monthly basis. And if I didn't have a mortgage, it would still be a liability because I have all them bills still coming out. Yeah, I could sell my house and hopefully release some equity and make some money, but then I'm still going to need to buy another house or somewhere else to live. Now, a second house, one that you could rent out, a holiday let, earn passive income from, that is an asset. It's putting money into your pocket. And when you come to sell it, you can, of course, enjoy the gains also. You can reinvest, buy a Lamborghini or whatever you want. And when we covered this topic in an earlier episode, I shared some other examples of assets because the rich ultimately look to build their, their asset column on their own personal balance sheet. And by that, you can own a business. Owning a business that, that earns regular regular income, uh, whether you're there or not, is an asset. Investing in stocks and shares, earn income through capital gains and dividends. Investing in bonds, government bonds or corporate bonds, you can earn income off the interest. You can invest in some of these new asset classes, crypto, decentralized finance, NFTs, We've covered them a few times recently um, or other digital assets. Or you could invest in traditional assets like commodities, gold or silver or art in the true traditional sense, literally pieces of art. And that brings me on to the next point in my wealth journal. And this is really what I wanted to cover in a little bit more detail this week. Now, if you've been mainly investing in stocks, bonds and possibly crypto right now, you're probably thinking about diversifying, you know, the markets have been challenging and you might want to uh, explore an alternative asset class. And, and maybe in some cases you're probably wishing you didn't invest at all. But I like the idea of building my asset column in my own personal balance sheet with a range of different assets. And I want stocks, I want crypto, I want NFTs, I want property, I want businesses. But art though, actual physical art, I didn't really think that was an asset class that I could really get involved in. Yes, I could buy a few pieces online and maybe some fairly affordable prints from a well-known art, well-known artist, but probably give it probably be quite expensive and you know where do I store them? Do I hang them in my house? Is that a risk? But firstly, why art? Well, art has a long history as a transactable asset with marketplace and auction houses like Sotheby's having existed for more than 275 years. Art has proven to be valuable financially with the works of high-end pieces of art being worth tens of millions of pounds. But until recently, however, art's ability to appreciate was understood mainly through anecdotes of the ultra-wealthy. Art has historically never felt that accessible to the everyday investor compared to investing in stocks and other assets. You can pretty much invest in stocks, you know, immediately just set up an account and off you go. But if you want to get exposure to to art, it's very difficult. Um, Certainly the high value arts, but at the same time with stocks, you can can invest in a multi-billion dollar company through shares. You can get exposure to assets such as golds or property um, through a a range of different ways, but high profile expensive paintings, they often reside in the hands of the very few. According to Deloitte, the global art market in 2021 was worth just under $1.5 trillion and is set to rise to almost $1.9 trillion by 2025. And the value of blue chip art, the art me and you, can only really see in galleries or hidden away in rich people's houses or offices, has outpaced the S&P 500 by 180% from the year 2000 to 2018. So who owns all this art? 
Well, you guessed it. It is the ultra wealthy. Actually, the largest private art collection in the world, according to the Guinness World Records, lives right here in the UK and it's owned by a single individual. The Queen, that's right, Queen Elizabeth. She has a collection of more than 1 million objects, which includes around 7,000 paintings and approximately 450,000 photographs dispersed between 13 royal residences in the UK. Some are owned by the Queen herself and others a property of the Crown. And according to the Sunday Times Rich List, the Queen actually grew her net worth in 2021 by 15 million. So maybe we can look to our Queen for advice on what assets to hold in our own personal portfolio. Disclaimer, I don't actually think the Queen is a financial advisor either, so purely educational. So naturally, as I'm looking to grow my wealth, I want a piece of this art market action. If the rich are involved, I want to be involved. So I was thinking, how can I do this? Now, luckily, I was listening to one of my favorite investing podcasts a few months back, and I came across an advert for a new company that allows investors to access the prestigious art market without requiring millions. Fast forward a few weeks and a couple of phone calls later, and I'm now the part owner of a $22 million painting by Jean-Michel Basquiat. There we go. I've made it big time. I own million pound paintings. (laughs) But the company I'm actually talking about is called Masterworks. They're a fairly new startup company, which essentially allows investors to buy shares in pieces of art from well-known artists. Now, just just a, a quick disclaimer here. I have no affiliation towards Masterworks. I'm not being sponsored to talk about Masterworks at all. And I'm trying to, uh, assess this company from an objective standpoint, but it's some, it's a service that I've used. So I thought I would share it with the listeners of the wealth journal. Now, the good thing about Masterworks is that they have an industry-leading research team which selects some of the best pieces from the world's most renowned artists. They then essentially securitize the asset, which essentially means turning it into a fungible item of monetary value, which is then tradable. So effectively, you can then buy and sell shares in a specific piece of art. So you literally own part of the canvas. And this is done in the US through SEC filings, so uh, working with the Securities and Exchange Commission out there. So it's fully regulated in the US, but they also allow UK investors to get involved. And they are basically democratizing the arts investment market. So in simple terms, you can now broaden your portfolio to pieces of art if it's an area of interest. And what I like about Masterworks is that they extensively research the pieces and pick the ones that they feel have the best investment potential through analysing thousands of data points and historical auction prices. And during times of economic stress, art is also considered a safer investment as high net worth individuals who collect art are often less impacted during these times of turmoil. I also like that with art, you can diversify your art portfolio within an art portfolio. Art is a little bit like buying a property or a piece of real estate. It's not homogenous. And by that, I mean each piece uh, differs in the same way that all houses are different. You can split your portfolio across different artists, some that are alive, some that are dead, male, female, black, white, the size of the artwork. It can really vary. What I was impressed when I spoke with Masterworks was the knowledge that their team has and how they can help structure your portfolio. Now, what I do stress, however, is that investing in these pieces of high value art is very much a long term investment strategy. Anywhere really between three to 10 years holding time is what they recommend. 
And during that time, Masterworks then may decide to sell the piece of art and you will be rewarded with the hopefully higher sale price. They obviously then take their fees. Um, but it's important to know that these investments are, are very much illiquid, meaning that they're not a quick and easy way for you to get out and get your money back. You have to wait for them to appreciate in value and then for Masterworks to eventually sell. But they do have a secondary market where you can buy and sell your shares. But again, I would stress this really is a longer term play. And for me personally, it fits well within my portfolio. Most of my investments I see really holding for a minimum of five years, potentially beyond. And therefore, this in, this investment strategy perfectly aligns with my own. I'm I'm also from a from a household where art has been a big part of my my childhood. I you know a lot of my family studied art, so it's a it's an asset class that I do have sort of. Um, an affinity to, uh, towards. So I'm happy to sort of learn about it and um, appreciate art at the same time. And for some people that might not be the case. And I've always stressed on this podcast, it's worth investing into things that you're interested in. You're more inclined to learn about it. And therefore you're probably going to be a little bit more successful in areas that you do have a, just a naturally, uh, a natural interest in. So I would caveat that. Um, and one thing I would recommend is, is if you do look at services like Masterworks, and there are other services out there, um, that once you sort of go through the process of potentially setting up an account with Masterworks and signing in, really at that point, you should have made a decision whether, whether art is, is something for you and you actually want to invest. Because I found that when I, when I eventually got in touch with Masterworks and set up an account, really, they wanted me to sort of push the bush button and invest invest straight away to, to open up my open up my account. So have a think about it. Um, research the website. Research just the art investment market in general before you make any steps towards towards setting up an up an account. The final point in my wealth journal this week is just the overall state of the markets and your personal portfolio. I know I briefly mentioned that at the start, but it's just. It's just important to understand that at the moment with a, with a lot of uncertainty, your portfolio probably will take a hit, whether you've invested in stocks, crypto, a range of different assets. It's likely that your portfolio has taken a hit these last few few weeks and months, unless you've just been invested purely into oil, which has been absolutely flying at the moment. Um, but I think at this stage, my recommendation, a recommendation, not advice, if you can continue just to average in um, and just keep automating those investments, be brave, um, zoom out, look at the market over over a longer term period. Um, because if you only invest when the markets are high, then you're missing out at the, the opportunity to buy when the markets markets are lower. And um, yeah, at times these last few few weeks, I felt like I've not wanted to invest. It's 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 harder to do. Um, so yeah, I recommend just zoom out and if you've got them automated investments, then just keep, you know, keep automating. I know there's a lot of uncertainty and I think it is hard at times when, when everyone feels the pinch, your petrol prices are rising, energy costs are rising, lots of other things. And maybe you think actually I'd just prefer some, some, some cash in the bank and maybe look at your safety net and think, am I comfortable with that, that safety net? Or would I like to just increase it a little bit? Again, they're your own personal circumstances for you to look at, but important questions to ask. That's everything from my wealth journal this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm trying to find a balance between the the shorter episodes and also some of the long form, but let me know what you think. Let me know what you prefer. I, I always welcome that feedback. And 
If you can do me a favor, share this podcast with somebody that you know. That really helps the podcast grow and compound over time. So appreciate that. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Take care. Thank you.